0: We can do about the collective stupidity of government, other than figure out how to exploit it. This. Is an economy of one. Your beacon guiding you through the turbulent waters of the political economy. The market no longer is the invisible hand of mutual gain, but the choking grip of political self-interest. Liberty is not given, it must be taken. Let's take it back together today. It's life, liberty, and the pursuit of self-reliance. An economy of one. With Gary Rathman, CEO of Private Wealth Consultants and your free market voice of the U.S. Greetings and welcome again to An Economy One. I am your host, Gary Rathman. Just a few days away from the inauguration, I'm excited to see what happens. But in the meantime, I'm going to get right into talking with Senator Jim DeMint. He's a United States Senator from South Carolina 2005 to 2013 and currently President of the Heritage Foundation. Senator, welcome to An Economy of One. Well, Gary, thank you. It's good to be with you again, and um, uh, Happy New Year. Thank you. Happy New Year to you. I wanted to spend a couple minutes with you today because expectations are high next week after the inauguration of President-elect Trump to repeal Obamacare. And uh, I know there's a certain segment of the population that are expecting that to be repealed Friday afternoon and uh, have a different plan in place on uh, Saturday, how likely is it that Congress will repeal the Affordable Care Act on day one and give it to the president to sign?
1: Gary as you know, Republicans have um, Run have campaigned on repealing Obamacare for several cycles uh, That's been part of the appeal that's helped them win the House and the Senate and now the presidency mm-hmm. It's there are no excuses They they have to repeal it. I believe it will happen I think there's some people who are uh, hedging, uh, saying we need to have a complete replacement in place first. Uh, That does not need to happen. In fact, it's the wrong way to go. We need to take that first step of repealing Obamacare. Most of that can be accomplished with the reconciliation process that only requires 51 votes in the Senate. And then move to um, the uh, Agency of Health, Health and Human Services, where Tom Price can begin to dismantle some of the regulations that make insurance so expensive now and then we can move to the states to get more alternatives for people Uh, and but the repeal itself gary would allow a transition where the changes would not begin to take place for more than a year which makes sense since most of the insurance plans for this year are already in place
0: you know i was going to ask you about that because i've been reading several articles and of course everybody's got the headline on how to repeal and replace, and it's not going to be painful, and it's going to be extraordinarily painful, that kind of stuff. From your experience, Senator, is that the likely scenario that we'll get a repeal? I'll ask you about the reconciliation process in a minute, but we get a repeal, and then we start fixing it piecemeal over the next year or two? Yeah, I don't like the word piecemeal. I, I learned okay. as uh,
1: someone working in the quality movement uh, as a consultant for a lot of companies, that change really happens in a positive direction when you push decision-making down and make continuous incremental prog- progress. Okay. That's what we need to do. We, we, a one-and-done a central system here in Washington is just not going to work. So there are things like passing a law that individuals can deduct the cost of their health insurance that businesses can deduct it if they help you pay for your own insurance, that uh, that individuals can buy health insurance from any state in the country mm-hmm. because some states have so many regulations that the policies are expensive. And we just keep going down the line, allow a lot of small businesses come together and buy insurance plans in bulk uh, so that the cost is less. One by one, step by step, we can make uh, – health insurance in america more affordable and make it more portable so people can buy and keep it uh... instead of just losing your insurance every time you change employers so there's a lot we can do these plans are in place um, you know really bothers me to hear people in the media say the republicans have no idea i mean we've been working on ideas for for really ever since i started in the house and uh... they've been blocked for years but now is the time to actually begin to improve, improve the health care system in
0: America. Now, uh, let me ask you, and I don't really fully understand the workings of Congress, as many Americans don't, but can this be done through a reconciliation process, or will it be subject to a two-thirds vote, or be subject to the Byrd rule, or can the opposition to this hang it up for a while procedurally?
1: The reconciliation process is primarily related to budget items, which means you can pass things that are consistent with the budget with 51 votes in the Senate, which means the parts of Obamacare that involve taxes and spending can all be wiped out with, um, with 51 votes. Okay. Actually changing the law, uh, like mandates or on the regulations of uh, insurance. That may be harder Uh, there. We argue about whether or not they can do that under reconciliation. But it's likely, since the Senate and the House passed a bill in 2015 that effectively gutted Obamacare. They've already passed that. They'll probably go back to that. We think they can get more as far as the insurance regulations. But one way or another, they need to take that first step, Mm -hmm. because that signals to all the insurance companies. And as well as Americans that by the time we turn the corner into 2018 that there are going to be different choices of health insurance and different ways to buy health insurance.
0: What is the likelihood that a newly inaugurated President Trump can essentially do a bunch of executive orders eliminating some of the executive orders that President Obama put in place around the Affordable Care Act, the different mandates and that kind of stuff. Is he capable of doing that? Is he likely to do that, or is that not part of the overall big plan in working with Congress?
1: I think you'll see uh, President Trump uh, very soon after his inauguration do an executive order that wipes out most of Obama's executive orders. And so if anything related to Obamacare was done with an executive order, it can be repealed with an executive order, but a lot of the regulations on insurance have been done by the, the Department of Health and Human Services, just regulations that they added that have a process to put in place with a um, kind of a, a waiting period, a comment period, and you have to go through essentially the same process as you take that apart. But we've given, laid all that out for the incoming president of what can be done with executive orders, what can be done through the agencies with reg, uh, just taking apart regulations, and what do you have to do with Congress. Uh, so the part with Congress is the hardest, unless we can find eight or ten uh, Democrats who realize that the tide of the country has really changed Mm -hmm. And a number of these Democrats in states where Trump won handily uh, hopefully will be listening to a new way to do things. So, uh, But we need to do what we can with 51 votes and through uh, the Department of Health and Human Services and then try to do what – play cleanup basically with Congress.
0: You've got a lot of experience in Congress, certainly a lot of experience in in Washington politics and stuff. What's the political risk – the senators and representatives are thinking. What's going through their head?
1: Well, Gary, that's the best question of all, because that's really what's on people's mind. I think all the Republicans know we need to repeal it, get this thing out of the way, and get started on a new approach. But Obamacare has a lot of things in place that are going to continue to deteriorate throughout this year and probably next year, uh, even if they repeal it. Because a lot of things have been done to the insurance markets, mm-hmm. and, and through regulations, and just you can't do, you can't fix it overnight, and and so Republicans are certainly worried that as this thing continues to deteriorate, that people are just going to start blaming it on the fact that they repealed it, instead of the fact that it, the Obamacare has caused these problems. Right. So it's going to be a communication battle in the media. But we just think Republicans need to be willing to stand up and defend what's right and what's true at this point. And and hopefully with Trump in the White House uh, and his uh, tweet account in hand, that we can at least get the truth to the American people on this, that Obamacare has done a whole lot of damage to the insurance industry, very destabilized, um, a, a lot of consolidation. You have fewer companies now and fewer plans, and the prices have just gone up. And they'll continue to go up until we start a new system, which is going to take a couple of years.
0: You know, there's an old joke about how do you eat an elephant? And the answer is one bite at a time. Yeah. Is this the elephant that we're going to have to eat one bite at a time over the next couple of years or so? We are.
1: And we're going to, and folks are wondering, uh, I mean, Republicans are saying as soon as they repeal it, then, then they own it. Right. And, um, but the fact is, the, that Obama and the Democrats are going to own the insurance industry for a couple of years. It's just going to be up to the Republicans to prove that to the American people.
0: I want to shift gears for just a couple of minutes. we got a minute and a half left or so. read your book, Falling in Love with America, again a year or so ago. And, and you mentioned in the, in the book that a great political leader can awaken the people's spirits and inspire them to greatness. In your opinion, is President-elect Trump one of those leaders? well he certainly
1: has that capability because he he has a lot of empathy with real people and he's not tied in with the big interests that i mentioned in that book that so much of washington now is about big corporations mm-hmm. big unions big banks you know big hospitals instead of working for the good of the american people this has become a government of and for big special interests trump uh, uh, amazingly as a person of great wealth and success appears to identify more closely with the common man than he does with wealthy people. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think the feeling is mutual if you look at how Hollywood and corporate America looked at him. But uh, I think he can be that that leader because he's already inspired a number of companies to stay here uh, believing that it's going to be a better environment. Um, And I think he's inspired a lot of Americans uh, that we should all we should aspire to be a great country. So Uh, I'm optimistic at this point, I I see the people he's putting around him, Mm -hmm. it gives me a lot of confidence that he's going to put good people in place and delegate to them. So no one's perfect, and uh, we could find fault whether it be with Ronald Reagan or George Bush or a lot of these folks, but I think uh, Trump so far has demonstrated a lot of interest in keeping his promises.
0: Well, we're not going to agree with everybody. My dad used to tell me if both of us agree, one of us isn't needed. Are Americans falling in love with America again, in your opinion?
1: Yeah, I think that's one way to explain the election, because yeah. that's what Trump talked about. He not only making America great again, but doing things that are in the best interest of America, our trade agreements, our foreign policy. And, and I think he refocused on what I talked about a lot in the book. Is this is a, a, has always been a bottom-up country of mm-hmm. uh, people making decisions at the lowest level, the little platoons. that Burke talked about, and I think without directly referencing it or or even maybe uh, knowing about it, uh, that's Trump's instinct that America is about individuals and that the government should work for the people.
0: We've been talking with uh, Senator Jim DeMint. He was a senator from South Carolina from 2005 to 2013 and currently president of the Heritage Foundation. Senator, once again, as always, this has been a real treat for me, a true honor. Uh, You've done great work. You're doing great work over to the Heritage Foundation. I read your stuff and your colleague's stuff, and I look forward to chatting with you again soon.
1: Well, Gary, I encourage all of your listeners to go to heritage.org and uh, stand with us because America is always worth fighting for.
0: Excellent. I appreciate your thoughts, appreciate your time today.
1: All right. Thanks, Gary.
0: Thank you. An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. You know, in talking to Senator uh, Demin, it got me thinking a little bit more about Obamacare, and it seems to be the uh, main thing that's going to be on the top of everybody's mind right after the inauguration. Will the Senate and House put together a bill to repeal the Affordable Care Act, better known as Obamacare? Will they have a replacement strategy. I think the Senator is correct that it's going to be voted on to repeal, but it's going to be replaced incrementally. We're going to take some of the more ominous parts of the Affordable Care Act and replace them with something new. And there's several things about the Affordable Care Act that's important to consider. One, it always frustrates me when Congress, on either side, both sides do this, but it seems more on the Democratic side, they get a bad piece of legislation passed, and then their defense is always, well, what else you got? What do you got? What's what's the Republicans got? What, what are you going to use to replace this? Well, why do we have to replace bad legislature? Why can't we just simply get rid of it, go back to the original system, and start working on that? But no, that's not in the mind of a bureaucrat and politician, they have to replace something bad generally with something worse and something bigger. But there's just a few things that needed to be done to the old style of health insurance to uh, essentially fix it, to make it workable again. Now, the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, makes one size fit all. In fact, it mandates. And it mandates a lot of the types of care, free preventative care, uh, mandatory mental health and drug abuse, free contraceptives, no lifetime maximum. All that adds to a huge, huge cost to health insurance and health care in general. So one of the things they ought to do is allow plans on the exchange from all different companies, different benefits Different schedules. They need to end the guaranteed issue. That That's a moral dilemma where someone can wait until they're actually diagnosed sick and then go get health insurance to pay for the procedure or the treatment. Another thing that needs to be done is health insurance needs to be able to cross state lines. That was a, a big deal before that every state had its own requirements for health insurance policies to be sold in that state. So big companies like a Blue Cross, Blue Shield or something like that would essentially have to go to 50 different state insurance departments and get their policies approved for that state and once it's approved for that state it couldn't be used in another state without that state's approval. Now there are some issues, one of them is pre-existing conditions. Now, in the past, pre-existing conditions, generally speaking, had a two-year waiver on your health insurance, but everything else would be covered. So if you had a pre-existing condition, uh, cancer or something like that, that that particular condition would be excluded for at least two years on your policy before the insurance would pick up costs and oftentimes there might have been a higher premium for that risk. And sometimes that risk would have to be moved into like a state risk pool, but it could be accommodated. Final thing I think that health insurance needs to be, and that is portable. You need to be able to quit your job and not lose your health insurance. Now, you may have to pay for it, and that's kind of what the COBRA rules are allowed for but the cobra rules were only 18 months and then you had to go to another plan new employer something like that so some very simple things could be done to tweak the health insurance market make it a lot better than it was certainly a lot better than the affordable care act and obamacare uh we're not going to i don't see us just flushing that on day one and then uh replacing it on day one with something else i think the logistics of that would be just too much but let's start tweaking see how it works and make adjustments as we go i think that makes a lot more sense than the direction we're going gary rathbun an economy of one An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. Joining me now is Dr. Sterling Burnett, PhD. He's a research fellow at the Heartland Institute and managing editor of Environment and Climate News. Dr. Burnett, welcome to An Economy of One. Thanks for having me on again, Gary. I appreciate it. It's exciting days right now. I mean, every day is a new adventure as to what unusual things are going (laughs) to come out of washington and you know let's start with the broader picture work our way down to the narrow picture president trump and the epa i mean already we're starting to see a little bit of i don't want to say one-upmanship but a little bit of control action from the president in trying to rein in the epa do you see that working for us
2: Well, you know, I think it's necessary, and and, and I don't think anyone should be surprised by it since that's what Trump promised when he was running, you know, in campaign mode, said he was going to do. He believes, and I I agree with him on this, that the EPA is responsible for a lot of unnecessary regulations that do little to benefit the environment and cost the economy a, uh, uh, a lot of money, costs, you know, Restrict people's liberty and cost mm-hmm. us jobs, and and he said that he'd uh, ran him in. Uh, so he's had to start doing that. You know, he directed, uh, he he nominated a guy to run the EPA who sued it thirteen times and is still involved in uh, as Attorney General of Oklahoma in suits against the agency. He's now been nominated to run. That should mm-hmm. tell you something,
0: right? right.
2: Uh, and then since he's come into office. Uh, he issued a freeze on all regulations that uh, have been proposed or had been finalized but have not yet uh, – normally there's like a 45-day do- or 30-day waiting period after a regulation is finalized mm-hmm. before it takes effect. He's <laughs> issued a freeze on all those regulations, and that captured about 30 uh, EPA regulations that Obama was trying to get through at the last moment.
0: While we're on that subject as regulations, it has become – a real problem from the standpoint of agencies, unelected people, unaccountable people, they take a piece of legislation that Congress passes and they add, I don't know, 3,000 pages of regulations to it and and Congress just kinda doesn't take the responsibility for that. It's created a real problem for us as far as how many regulations are out there that Congress doesn't pass.
2: Well, you know, here's, here's the deal. The Constitution delegates power to Congress alone, nobody else, Mm -hmm. not the president, not the courts, uh, to write the laws of the United States. That's a a power delegated solely to them. And they have largely abdicated – uh, abrogated that responsibility, abdicated that responsibility, decades ago. You know, they, mm-hmm. they, what happened was Congress realized, gosh, we want to get credit. We we don't want to be accused of gridlock, and we want to get credit for writing these grand laws. So they write these huge laws. You know, and the laws can sometimes be substantial. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they say, now, executive agencies, you go and write the detailed regulations that enforce these laws. And you know, so for every page of a law from Congress, it's 18 pages, or, or, or 20 pages, or 25 pages of regulations. So you get thousands of regulations for every hundred laws Congress passes, mm-hmm. and Congress does not review these laws, these regulations, to to ensure that basically the agencies uh, are only doing what the law allows. And, 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 and then what happens is people complain. People say, "You can't want them to do this. Why are they doing that?" Mm-hmm. And the agencies say, "Oh well, we're, we're directed by law to do this." And Congress come back, and says, "Oh, we didn't intend that. Right. We never meant for them to do that. but rather than st- if, if they really didn't intend for them to do that, they should have stopped them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know the agencies, they're in business not in my opinion, not to help the public. They're in business to serve whatever constituency uh, fights for their larger budgets.
0: Right, right.
2: They want bigger budgets. They want more employees, larger staffs, mm-hmm. and they want more power. Bureaucrats want power over people's lives. And Congress, by not reining these agencies in long ago, you know, mm-hmm. by passing feel-good measures that, that uh, the agencies were then left to discretion to interpret – uh, Addicate its responsibility, and now, when I first started doing you know environmental policy work full time back in nineteen ninety ninety six I hate to say <laughs> um, they passed something called the congressional review act
0: right right
2: because do they, they recognize this problem? Back then, 20 years ago, they were rec- they were talking about this problem. They, at the time, they were saying, oh, regulations cost us billions of dollars. Guess what? Regulations now cost us trillions of dollars yes. every year. Uh, and they say, well, we got to do something about this. So they gave themselves the authority to raise a point of order and say, no, we don't approve this regula- – for any major regulation, which – under the law, meant a regulation that imposed a $100 million cost of, on the economy or more. Mm-hmm. Congress could stop it. Both houses had to pass it. The president had to sign it or veto it, and then Congress would have to override. Right. You know how many times they've exercised that authority for regulations? They've passed tens of thousands of regulations since then. Right. You know how many times they've exercised that authority?
0: Well, actually, I do because I read your article yeah. At three.
2: Yeah, three times. Three times. once. President Bush signed it, and twice under Obama, and he vetoed both of them, right. and they didn't know they right. So just under Obama alone, he passed 600 major regulations, 600 regulations, wow. that impose more than a 100 million dollars in cost in the economy. And of those 600 regulations, Congress only objected twice. Wow.
0: So incredible. now
2: you, know, for the past three terms of Congress, The House has acted to pass something called the Rains Act, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and Rains means rein in (laughs) the regulatory agencies. Right. Of course, under Obama, it was going nowhere. It never went anywhere in the Senate because you know the Senate was pretty clear that if they passed it, Obama would veto it, and uh, and uh, you know it, it, it would have been a waste of time. Well. One of the first acts of the new Congress was to pass the, rain, the new House was to pass the Reins Act, again. and what it says is, if there's a regulation that has hundred million dollars cost upon the economy or more, Congress must affirmatively approve that regulation before it becomes law. And if they don't, it doesn't come into effect. So it reverses it reverses the uh, the order. Rather than coming into effect unless Congress objects, now unless Congress approves. It doesn't take effect now that may stop a lot of regulations from even getting written because the agencies will know
0: right
2: You know, Congress has we've got one called the waters of the United States rule twice the Supreme Court has struck down less restrictive uh, authority over wetlands for the EPA mm-hmm. twice they told the EPA you've gone too far and every time the EPA comes back with a more expansive definition of its power well Congress continually complains, but they can't do anything because no president will uh, uh, will, will uh, sign off on their disapproval. So now, all the agencies facing the Rains Act would say, "Look, we know Congress isn't going to approve this, so why, yeah. you know, why spin our wheels? We need to write something that Congress and the courts will approve."
0: Now, that being said, from your expertise and, and your involvement uh, through the Heartland Institute and stuff, do you think the Rains Act is going to get through this time?
2: Well. First off, I think even the Senate realizes the election was uh, speaking to them. Right. right. That this is a fundamentally different country. Nobody – I won't say nobody. there there, There were a couple of people who predicted Donald John Trump would win both the Republican nomination and the presidency. But there weren't many. Right. And the statement that America gave when they elected him is they don't want business as usual, and he has promised to drain the swamp. And unless the Senate wants to be part of the swamp that's drained because he can go out and campaign against these guys when they're running for office in two years and say these are the guys that are stopping the policies you wanted enacted, they better get with the program. So my suspicion is that it it, 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 it might get a vote and actually pass the Senate. Because, you know, if I'm, if I'm Trump, I'm going to the American people and, you know, he doesn't go through the media. That's he right. He just tweets.
0: Right. <laughs> That's right. He's
2: just going to tweet daily. Why are these clowns not exercising their responsibility? Why are these jokers refusing to carry out their responsibilities under the Constitution and delegating them to executive agencies? Why don't they want to take responsibility for trillions of dollars in their budget? Right. You know, every day he can slam them and. And. My feeling is is, it's certainly got a better
0: chance now than it ever has. Now, uh, once again, let's take at the next step. And, you know, when it comes to climate change and, uh, you know, a lot of discussion around whether it's anthropogenic, whether man caused the climate change, you see all these scientists and that kind of stuff. And, you know, I'm a cynic. I've looked into it and I know, you know what, if they say the right things, their grants get approved and the the budgets get approved and that kind of stuff. Do you see this change, if you will, this this somewhat of a paradigm shift in attitude? Do you see it going past the government agencies and into the the scientific community, or are people going to be empowered to come forth with with better scientific uh, research?
2: Well, what I think is going to happen, you know, there will still be people out there applying for grants. To study climate research, who are what I call true believers, who who think that humans are definitely responsible for climate change and that climate change is disastrous or potentially disastrous. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't think nature has a role at all, or if they or if they admit nature has any role, it's a small role. Mm-hmm. Humans are driving it, and um, I think what they're going to find. I, I really don't think Trump is going to to. Or his administration is going to attack these scientists. or He's basically going to say, look, for too long, our science budget has been eaten up with this climate crap. Mm. You, know, he, you know, he's watched Obama spend billions and billions of dollars on climate change and climate policies, which he thinks are ineffective and put, make us uncompetitive, and climate science, which, you know, if I was Trump, I'd say, you tell me the science is settled. I tell you, if it's settled, you don't need any more money.
0: <laughs> that, that'll well, we change the discussion think, right yeah. there. Dr. Burnett, i got about a minute and a half or so left. I wanted to get your comments real quick on President Trump and the Dakota pipelines. There's been a lot of back and forth, and from what I've read, even the government studies show that there's very little environmental impact to the pipelines. Yeah, it's
2: it's clear. But... The, The Army Corps of Engineers had already issued the permits. They had done all the environmental impact statements. They'd reviewed them, and they issued the permits saying there'd be no environmental harm. It wouldn't stop for environmental harm. Mm -hmm. They challenged the environmental portions in court twice, and the courts threw it out saying there's no harm in evidence. Your your claims are false.
0: It's uh, refreshing to see. I'm glad that the political correctness and the concern of being reelected all the time and the special interest groups are – getting what they uh, should have been getting all along. So uh, we've been speaking with Dr. Sterling Burnett from the Heartland Institute. He's a managing editor of Environmental and Climate News. Sterling, this has been a real pleasure for me. Call me anytime. I look forward to it. Take care. I appreciate it. You have a good evening. It's fascinating that we're able to connect with these organizations. Heartland Institute, great organization. You want to go to their website, check them out. And Dr. Burnett has some terrific stuff out there. Coming up next, it's Super Bowl Sunday, which means, that's right, commercials. We'll talk about them next. An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. to An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. Well, it's Super Bowl Sunday, and i got to tell you a couple things. One, this will be the first NFL football game that I watch this season. I have purposely not watched any uh, NFL, Haven't, haven't seen a single snap other than if it shows up on the news or something like that. Not because I think Kaepernick is wrong and shouldn't have free speech and all that kind of stuff. I'm not going to let him influence me in any way, shape, or form. But what did influence me is political correctness just has taken all the fun out of everything. Can't we just watch a, a game? Can't we just watch a game where players don't wear pink on everything? Can't we watch a game where people don't kneel during the national anthem that don't have signs in in the the stadium in, in the stands that are politically correct? Can we just play football? Can we just have fun? Everything we have now seems to be politically correct connected theater movies sports sports all the way down to the high school level people are kneeling during the national anthem really come on we're there to play a game we're there to watch people play a game think of those words play a game we're playing Does play have to be politically correct? Now, I know there's money involved, and I know there's a lot of money involved, but I watched the Super Bowl not so much for the game as much as the commercials. Now, last year, halftime, Beyonce had uh, an extremely anti-police song called Formation, and It just ticked me off. I had to turn it off. Not because, you know, I, I don't believe in her right to say what she said, but that's not the place. That's not the format. It's a game. Let's be entertained. I don't want to be preached at at halftime or any other time. This year, Fox is really taking the commercials and halftime show, uh, serious. Now that being said, I don't, I don't know if it's serious, politically correct, seriously neutral, or seriously politically incorrect. We'll find out. But uh, they've already eighty-six a commercial from eighty-four lumber that depicted a border wall being built. This is entertainment. Entertainment. I'm anxious to see the commercials. A lot of money goes into those commercials. Millions and millions of dollars goes into the production of those commercials. And millions and millions of dollars are spent for the airtime. I read somewhere it's about $5 million for a 30-second commercial. That's a lot of money. A lot of money. Budweiser has notoriously been the major advertiser for the Super Bowl. Love their stories. Remember the tear jerkers with the horses and the dogs and and uh, uh, it, it, the frogs even I mean come on that, that's entertainment and people talk for a long time afterwards about their commercials. Most recently, Doritos has had terrific commercials people always trying to push the envelope will be interesting to watch this year because like Snickers is going to do a live commercial. They're going to do a live ad that that's pressure. That's pressure when, when possibly a billion people will be watching. So I suspect that most of them will be entertaining Anheuser-Busch has has a commercial, by the way, of, uh, it's a 60-second spot, so that's about, I don't know, 10 million bucks for that time, uh, about its founder, Adolphus Busch, coming over here from Germany to St. Louis in 1857 and overcoming adversity and that kind of stuff to build Anheuser-Busch. Now, the company says it's not intended to make a statement about immigration, But it's awfully coincidental. We'll see. We'll see how it plays out. But the commercials last long after the game. The game is almost anticlimactic. I have been to a Super Bowl in person, and the game is kind of secondary to the event. All the people are fun to be around. They're friendly. You interact with all kinds of people. You get to buy Twelve dollar hot dogs or whatever they cost, you know, but it's it, it's a lot of fun. I really enjoy the magnitude of the Super Bowl, and it just draws me to it. I, I enjoy watching that, but if it starts to be political at the very beginning, I'm out. I am out. So I have a an NFL deficit in my life, and I hope to uh, fill that deficit today with the Super Bowl. We'll see. I want you to have a great day. Be an individual. Be self-reliant. Be an economy of one. I'm Gary Rathman. We'll see you next time.
2: This is our economy.
1: The views expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect the views of this station. Listeners should consult their own financial advisors or conduct their own due diligence before making any financial decisions. Private Wealth Consultants is an SEC-registered investment advisor.